So much of modern motherhood is spent wishing we were doing better, whether we're comparing ourselves to other moms or to the ideal mom we assumed we'd be before we had kids. But this wishing takes us further and further away from joy, and it stops us from being the mom we want to be. I'm Rebecca Brownwright, and I'm here to help you focus on connection, because connecting more deeply with yourself and with your kids will help you forget about mom comparisons. Connection will help you resolve behavior issues with your kids, and connection will help you live a life full of real joy, because that's what you and your kids deserve. Pause and connect with me for a moment to listen to discussions about connection and motherhood, finding your purpose, smashing cultural narratives, and so much more. This is Pause and Connect. Hello, and welcome back to Pause and Connect. This is episode 30 called Don't Worry So Much About Teaching the Lesson. Oh, it's good to be back here. It's been way too long since I recorded my last episode. I started a school psychology grad school program in the fall, and it's really, really time consuming to be in grad school. But oh, it's also so incredible. And honestly, I wish that you could be with me in my classes. I'm learning so much more about what I talk about here on Pause and Connect. And it's just incredible how the research shows time and time again, how effective connection is in parenting. This type of parenting is an effective way of parenting. Now, to be clear about this podcast, I am not currently a psychologist. The information that I share here is based on years of my own messing up as a parent, and then how therapy and my own research has led me to the solution of connection and attachment in my parenting. So my connection slash attachment approach made 90% of our problems disappear. We had a lot of problems before I started learning about connecting in parenting. And really, like, I mean, I didn't actually measure it, but I feel like it's 90% of our problems just went away when I started parenting with connection. And it gave our entire family the tools to handle that other 10% of the time, because there's still problems, but now we have the tools to handle them. Um, And when people try the things that I talk about here on my podcast, or when they buy my courses and they follow that, or if they read my tips on social media, they always tell me that it helps their family, that it transforms things. So I have so much confidence in what I speak about. And as I work toward my graduate degree, I'm finding even more evidence to back it up. (laughs) So it's just incredible. But again, I want to be clear, I'm not currently a psychologist. Now today we're going to talk about teaching lessons to our kids. We have this belief in our society, uh, and it's a good belief. I I have mixed feelings about this. It's a good belief um, and a bad belief, (laughs) but uh, it's this, this belief that as parents, we are responsible for teaching our kids important life lessons. And that's true, right? But the, the part where I feel like it's not necessarily so helpful to us is that I think we sometimes go too far in our maybe zeal to teach those lessons. You know, like we might manufacture lessons. Um, and I just wonder, do we need to manufacture lessons for our kids? Do we need to teach lessons in the moments of our child's meltdown? Do we even need to teach lessons using direct language every time? You know, like basically are lectures the only way that our kids can learn a lesson? And obviously they're not. But... We know that. We know that life teaches lessons, yet we still fall back on these lectures and, you know, like I told you so stuff so much. These are just important questions to ask ourselves. Like, are are we teaching our kids lessons in the way that they need to be taught lessons? Um, and the way that society kind of is expecting parents to teach lessons, do we do we need to be doing that? So just kind of keep that in mind and we're, we're going to get into it. 
But first, <laughs> here's an Arrested Development reference. Have you watched Arrested Development? It's it's a really hilarious show. Um, I don't know where it's playing now. It might be on Netflix. I'm not sure. But anyway, it's hilarious. Um, it's about this family that just cannot function. And the adults, they're unable to follow through on anything. They don't listen to anyone. They're super selfish. They're incredibly impulsive. And then they're constantly getting themselves into these huge problems in funny ways. I don't know if I've sold it by what I just said there, but it is so funny. Um, there are often these moments, though, where it shows the adults functioning really well. So, for example, one episode shows them leaving notes for each other to tell them, like, you missed a phone call or a package or something like that. Now, of course, because it's a comedy, their notes are really not that helpful. But the point is, they always leave a note. And the show flashes back to show us why they always leave a note. So when they were children, their father one day was upset that there was no milk in the house. And he wanted to teach his kids that they should have left a note that they were out of milk. So he called up an old employee to help teach the lesson. Now, the important thing to note here is that the old employee had a prosthetic arm. That's going to feature in again in a minute. So the kids are young. They're driving along with their dad. And the dad, he's he's ready to teach this lesson, okay? So he turns around to chastise the kids and he says, you know, we're out of milk. And I could have gotten it earlier if someone would have left a note. And then when he turns back around, there's a man and the man, the kids don't know this, but it's the old employee with the prosthetic arm. The kids don't know he has a prosthetic arm. And the man is walking across the street and the dad ends up hitting him with his car because he had taken his eyes off the road to tell his kids they should have left a note. So then the man's prosthetic arm falls off and sits on the windshield, but the kids think it's it's a, his real arm. And so they're screaming and the dad turns around and says, why, if someone had left a note, this innocent man would still have his arm. And so that's the lesson that he taught them. And the kids grow up and they always remember to leave notes because they were so traumatized by this lesson their dad taught them. So it's it's funny in the show, uh, and you can look up the clip, uh, look up Arrested Development, leave a note. It's really funny. But this is really ridiculous as a lesson, right? We don't need to manufacture lessons to teach our kids. And we definitely don't need to traumatize our kids in order to teach a lesson like the dad did in this show. And while that was a ridiculously extreme example, think for a minute about how you might be trying to teach lessons to your kids. And is it helpful? So I'll share an example from, from my life. So when my daughter was in sixth grade, she had to carry this really heavy instrument home from the bus stop every day. And she was little and the instrument hurt her back and I worked from home and I could have easily stopped to my work to go meet her at the bus stop to help her carry the instrument. But I thought to myself, oh, she needs to learn grit. You know, life is hard and this is a great way for her, her to build muscles and grit. And as lessons go, that's really not the most terrible lesson, right? But looking back now, I realize that it wasn't really necessary. I was like kind of forcing the lesson in this situation because she was building grit and muscle with that instrument. She was carrying it all over school every day. Muscles were being built. <laughs> grit was being built all day long. The lesson was already happening just as a natural consequence of life. She chose to learn this less to, to learn this instrument and so she had to carry it around for uh, to get to school and to get it to the band room. So like she was already learning the natural consequences of 
choosing this instrument and sticking with this instrument and it's it it's hard to carry and she's got to do it and she was doing it and she she wasn't fighting that you know she was excelling it you know so i really didn't need to add to that lesson did i I mean, if I wasn't at home and she had no other choice, she would have had to walk home. But I was at home and I could show up for her. And showing up for her at the end of the day to provide her some relief and carry the instrument for her, it would have just been a kind, compassionate thing for me to do. And since we're on the subject of lessons, I actually would have been teaching her a few other different lessons, you know, like, hey, it's okay to accept help from your mom. Um your mom will take time for you. Uh, it's It could be fun to walk together. We can talk about your day, you know? So like there were good things that I was letting go of because I wanted to teach this lesson of grit and sticking with this hard thing and building muscles, you know? So eventually I stopped and thought about it and I realized that what I was doing was really not necessary because she she was learning that lesson of grit and muscle building throughout the day, Right. So I let go of my tough it out approach and I started meeting her at the bus stop and carrying the instrument for her. Sometimes I would carry it the whole way. Sometimes I I would still say like, how far do you think you can carry it? And I'll carry it the rest of the way, you know? So there was, there was plenty, plenty of uh, wiggle room in this, in this uh, thing that I had turned into an issue, right? (laughs) It never really even needed to be an issue. Um, And, you know, if, if I had never changed my mind, that, that wasn't the worst lesson I was teaching her, right? Like I, I, it wasn't child abuse, but it, it also wasn't the lesson that I thought I was teaching, you know, that lesson of grit. I was manufacturing that in a moment that it just didn't need to happen. It just wasn't necessary for that time. Right. So hopefully that kind of like got your mind thinking a little bit about times when maybe you're manufacturing lessons that don't necessarily need to happen. And, and, and I'm not saying that we're, we're being um, traumatizing, like the example that I, that I shared of arrested development. Um, I'm not saying that if you manufacture lessons, you're as bad as, as that guy, but I'm, I am just saying like, sometimes we're, we make it a bigger issue than it needs to be. Um, so let's talk more about these lessons that we think we have to teach our kids and just try and examine them from a more connected approach because that connection is so important. And when we're when we're really trying to focus on every aspect of our parenting from a connected approach, it kind of just it just kind of changes our viewpoint. It just kind of changes uh, what what we thought was important. It can change our whole worldview even and and help us uh, make decisions that might be more beneficial for everybody. So first of all. Timing is really critical when we want our children to learn a lesson. So a lot of times we try to teach our kids a lesson in the middle of their meltdown or sorrow. You know, like again, that arrested development example, they're, the kids are screaming because they their dad has just hit a man and his arm has fallen off. And, and that's when he says, if only you would have left a note. You know, he's going right in at the worst part of their emotional um, melt, not even meltdown, but their, their trauma, the worst part of their emotions, that's where he's going in and, and saying, see, you should have done this. So let's, you know, take it to a more realistic example that we might, we might see in our lives, right? Okay. So maybe our kid leaves their bike out in the rain and the chain gets rusted and they're sad and they're upset. And that might be a moment where we choose to tell them, see, this is why I tell you to bring your bike in every night. Okay. That is something that I think most of us parents have done in some way or another. It's just kind of like a natural thing. And you don't have to be mad at yourself if you've done this or 
if, if you do this all the time, but it's good to notice that this is a moment where we're like kind of digging in during their sorrow and it's not necessary. Okay. Or maybe they hit their sibling and why, while they're still fired up, they're still mad about hitting their sibling. We start piling on punishments. We send them to their room. They yell at us about it. So then we take away screen time and then they fall apart about that. So then we tell them no more play dates for a week, you know, and we just keep escalating. Now, the problem with this approach is that our kids are not experiencing regulated emotions in these moments. They're sad about their bike. They're mad that their sibling did something that made them want to punch them, you know, whatever it is. They're they're not in an emotionally regulated state. And so the lessons that we're hoping they're going to learn from our chastisement or our punishment just are not going to sink in. Instead, their frustration might increase. They might feel shame. They might feel out of control. And then what's happening to us? We aren't seeing the lesson being learned, which is frustrating. You know, we're seeing them yelling back at us or they're crying harder. And so then we feel more frustration. We feel more out of control. We feel panicky and we don't know what to do. So this timing is so important. Jumping in while our kids are experiencing frustration or sorrow or sadness is not going to be helpful. Now, again, we've all done it, okay? So don't be down on yourself. It's just helpful to know this and move forward. I want to talk about um, the brain. Um, And and I'm going to use Dr. Siegel and Dr. Bryson. They're the authors of The Whole Brain Child. They have just the best way of explaining what is going on in our brains when this is happening. Um, The Whole Brain Child is such a good book. I don't get anything from promoting it. It's just so helpful and it's life-changing. So go get it. Um, and it has illustrations where you can even show your kids like this is what's going on in your brain and, and it helps them to understand what's going on. Um, they have videos on this too. Uh, we're going to talk about the upstairs downstairs brain. So you can Google that upstairs downstairs brain, Dr. Siegel, Dr. Bryson, and you can get a really good visual too to show your kids or just to help you understand. Anyway, Here's what's happening. I'm going to use that downstairs, upstairs brain. Uh, So the downstairs brain, it includes the brainstem, and that's the area that's responsible for automatic actions, the things we do without thinking. It is not a thinking part of the brain. It's, It's just like a reactive part of the brain, and it's super helpful in a lot of situations. Like if you touch a hot stove, for example, the downstairs brain doesn't go through this logical curiosity like, huh, I wonder what's going on. Why does my hand feel this way? It's not doing any of that. It's not problem solving. It just yanks your hand away really fast in order to save you. So it's a really cool part of our brain that we can rely on and and it can help keep us safe. But it's also the part of the brain that, you know, caused your child to hit their sibling, right? Because they're upset and so they're reacting in that moment and they're not thinking. And so they're reacting and they hit. Okay. So it's, it's a part of the brain that was really useful. And also we need to learn how to control it. Right now, the upstairs brain is the cerebral cortex and it's the thinking brain. So it thinks logically. It thinks of what others might be feeling. It problem solves. Now, when the two parts of the brain are communicating well, your child has the presence of mind to not hit their sibling or to not fight back with you. But when they aren't communicating well, the downstairs brain, that emotional part, it takes over and that's when the huge emotional outbursts happen. 
The upstairs brain at this point is not in charge. So there is no logic happening. I mean, there might be a little bit depending on the situation, but like for the sake of this analogy, let's just say there's no logic happening. It's just emotions. So when you try and reason with your child or tell your child why what they're doing is wrong, it's just not going to work. <laughs> the downstairs brain or the emotional brain is running the show. So remember, that's the part of the brain that yanks your hand away from the hot stove and protects you. It's not the part of the brain that thinks through things and thinks, oh, I wonder what my mom is thinking when she's telling me not to do this, or I would like to hear what she has to say. I would like to learn. It's not the part, <laughs> it's not the brain that, the part of the brain that's doing that. It, it's, it's just the yanking brain, the brain that's there to protect from whatever danger they perceive. And they perceive danger in um, an upset parent, right? And so if we're upset and we're like, that's why I told you not to leave your bike outside, that, that emotion is just going to get bigger and bigger because that feels dangerous. People are mad at me. People are making me feel bad, right? So one thing you can do to get those two parts of the brain communicating again, because that's what we want. We want logic and emotion to be talking to each other. And one thing you can do is to connect emotionally with your child. Remember, your child's emotional brain is in charge right now. So bring your own helpful emotions. Bring your calm over to them and share it. Give them a hug. Crouch down below them. Put your hand on their shoulder. Hold their hand. Use a calm tone and calm words. Validate their emotions. You're really sad you left your bike out in the rain, aren't you? You were really upset at your sibling, weren't you? You know? This helps your child's upstairs and downstairs brains start communicating again. So once they're calm, they can think logically again. The upstairs brain can come back to the show and they can be a part of this. That's when they can realize that their actions weren't helpful. That's when they can realize they shouldn't have left their bike outside. That's when they can realize they hurt somebody. That's when they can be ready for problem solving. Like, what am I going to do about my rusty bike chain? Or what am I going to do to help help my siblings stop crying because I hit them, right? You know, like that's when they can do that. They can't do that until the upstairs brain has met the downstairs brain. And they get there through your connection. When you calmly connect with them, that really helps their brain to start, the two parts of their brain to start communicating again. Now, I talk about this more in my episode 17 called You Should Use Hugs in Your Discipline. Here's how. And I'll link to that in the show notes because it's really helpful to know how to step in in those hard moments in, in a way that is going to be effective. So anyway, with that brain understanding that, that we have now, that upstairs, downstairs brain, the first thing we can do is let go of the need to teach that lesson in the moment, okay? Timing is important. So don't try and teach the lesson in that moment when your child is emotional. The lesson will not sink in when they're emotional. So give your child the best chance at success by connecting with them in their meltdown and then waiting to teach the lesson later. Now, the bonus here is that when you connect with your child, it calms your brain down too. You begin to be able to think logically again because now you're helping your upstairs and downstairs brain get back together. That makes sense. Like it's happening to both of our brains. Connection just, I can never say it enough. It's just so freaking effective. So use it instead of trying to teach a lesson while your child is dysregulated. Okay. The next thing we can do is to trust our kids. Do they even need us to point out what they did was wrong? I mean, really, do they? Do they need us to tell them they shouldn't leave their bike out? For example, stay with me here. 
like, I know there's times where they're going to need us to say something, but how often do they really need us to point out that they did something wrong? Like they probably already figured out they messed up. Of course they did. They're showing us they did because their, their emotions are going crazy, right? So we know that they know this. If our kids are melting down, we really don't have to wonder if they know that they did something wrong. Like that's telling us that they did something wrong, right? So telling them this is why you shouldn't leave your bike out isn't really helpful at that point, is it? Because it's just, they already know it, right? They might not know every detail. They might need some problem solving, but like they don't need to be told like, this is what you did and you messed up. And then even if we waited until after their upstairs and downstairs brains started communicating again, again, it's not the most ideal way to teach the lesson to say, this is why you shouldn't have done this, or you shouldn't have done this. We can instead trust that our kids are smart. They have the ability to connect the dots. They can figure out a lot of things on their own. So in the bike example, once they're calm, we might go to problem solving instead of telling them what they did was wrong. So we could say, you know, after we've calmed them down, I'm, I'm, you're feeling so sad that your bike is rested, aren't you? We're hugging, we're, we're helping them calm down. Now they're feeling better. Now we could say, I wonder how we can solve the rust problem. You know, the bike, the bike is now rusty. How can we solve that? And then later, also, we can, if, we, if we are worried that this is going to happen again, we can say, I wonder what we can do so this doesn't happen again. And your child is going to come up with solutions. They definitely are because they're brilliant. They can do this. And when we approach them with curiosity, with how can we avoid this? How can we solve this? That's going to do an even better job at teaching the lesson than if we explicitly tell them that they shouldn't leave their bike out again, right? That makes sense, right? Now, of course, sometimes we do have to be explicit. So we do need to say we don't hit in our family, for example. With serious offenses that harm another person, of course we want to make sure our, our child clearly understands the expectations. But even this can be done cooperatively, especially after we've taken the time to calm the downstairs brain by connecting with our kids. So we can say, we don't hit in our family, do we? Now, what can we do to help your sibling feel better? And then, how can I help you the next time you want to hit? What can you do the next time you want to hit? What solutions do you have to this problem, right? Your kid is smart. They can come up with solutions. They can't do this while their downstairs brain is in charge. They cannot do this when they are emotionally dysregulated. But once they are emotionally regulated, they can do a lot. Now, even with all of this, your child isn't going to be perfect at not hitting. They might even leave their bike out in the rain again. Um, like kids with ADHD, for example, like they do have a hard time learning from past experience. So this could happen again, right? It probably will. So instead of thinking like this is a one and done thing, you know, like I taught the lesson, they understand they're not supposed to leave their bike out again. Think of this as slowly teaching skills. Some are going to learn the lesson immediately and never, never do it again, but others are going to keep messing up. But when you connect and you help calm the emotional part of their brain, and when you trust your child to problem solve and that your child is working on important skills, then they're learning how to, how to do this. They're eventually, they're, they're learning how to calm their emotions. They're learning how to problem solve. They're developing skills. So none of this is wasted. Even if your child does leave the bike out in the rain the next day, it's what you did the day before is not wasted because you've helped them develop those skills of 
self-regulating and of problem solving. So you repeat the process and then they continue to work on those skills. It's like they're working a muscle and it's getting stronger each time they work it out. Now, we'll talk about this a little bit more later. If they continue to keep repeating it, then obviously something is is up, right? And something is not connecting, something is not working. So then you go about it a different direction. You, you come at it with different solutions. How can we resolve this in a different way, you know? But you don't get there if if you don't get to this place of calm connectedness and then problem solving together. So hopefully that makes sense. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on. Okay, the next thing that we can keep in mind is that we as parents don't have all the answers. We really don't. Our kids have answers too. So if we have the mindset that we are responsible for bestowing all of life's lessons on our kids, and I I kind of am being a little bit sarcastic about that, um, but only because I can poke fun at myself, you know, like I really felt that pressure for years. Like I have to teach my children everything they need to know, you know, I have to, it's up to me and only me. But when, when I, you have that mindset, like we get into the mode of thinking that we know everything and we don't. And here's the beautiful thing. We don't have to know everything. We can trust the process of learning for ourselves and for our kids, instead of thinking that we have to teach a lesson whenever our kids mess up. So we can ask our kids for their ideas and we can learn from them. We can face the truth that we don't know everything and we can sit in that place of not knowing and slowly learn our own lessons. Our kids are going to mess up. We're going to mess up. We don't always have to have the answers on how to fix it. Sometimes we can take it one step at a time. I think there's a real pressure on us as parents to know what to do in the moment, right? Especially if eyes are watching us, right? We really do feel like we have to know how to handle everything that our kids are throwing at us. But I've said it before and it's so cliche, I'm, but I'm still gonna say it again. You were not given a handbook on your child. You weren't told how to handle every single situation and nobody could even tell you that. Nobody knows what your child is going to do and what combination of factors are going to be involved in every single situation. So there, there is no way to know what to do every single time. So when your kid really throws you for a loop and you feel that external and internal pressure to do the right thing and teach the right lesson in this moment, take a deep breath. <laughs> Remind yourself that you don't have to have the answers right now. You don't have to solve everything right this second. And you don't have to impart some wise lesson to your child in that moment. In fact, when you don't even know what to do or say, there how will you even be able to impart a wise lesson, right? Because you don't know what to do or say. So work on feeling okay with that. You don't have to have all the answers and you're not supposed to. Then when your kiddo is doing something that is just really stumping you, you know, like do something to shake up the moment and 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 restart, refresh, you know, give your kid a hug, use connection. That always is a really good place to, to think about going, right? If your kid lets you give you hugs, hold your kid's hand, sit down on the floor, you know, change your position, do a yoga pose, sing at the top of your lungs, stick your head in the freezer to cool off, hold your child's hand, say a prayer, you know, like basically do whatever you feel your body needs to do to catch a breath and remind yourself that you don't need to know all the answers right now. Reset. Give yourself grace and take it moment by moment. The next thing we can do is set ourselves up for success more often. So this is not something you want to even be thinking about in those stressful moments that we were just talking about. In stressful moments, we wanna work on calming, connecting, and resetting. Then in calm moments, we can set 
ourselves up and our children up for success more often and teach strategies for the things that they're lacking. So what I mean is in a calm moment, when you're not feeling any external or internal pressure on what you should be doing as a parent, let yourself think about the areas where your child struggles. Do they hit their sibling? Do they yell at their teacher? Do they withdraw and ignore you when they mess up? Think about one thing that tends to be a common problem for your child and your family. Remind yourself, this is so important, remind yourself that kids do well when they can. So if your child seems to constantly be making mistakes in this area, that's telling you that they're probably lacking some skills in that area. And some of those just might be developmental skills. Like, you know, a three-year-old cannot keep control over their, their body all the time and they might hit. Like, it's that's just developmentally appropriate, right? Some of it might not be developmentally. Some, some of it might be like they, they, they just didn't learn the skill or something like that, or, or they have a disability or a disorder or something that is challenging them or, or just, you know, we're all on different timetables. And so maybe you think like an eight-year-old should be able to do this and all other eight-year-olds do, but yours can't. Well, that's okay. Like we're on different timetables. Okay. So just remind yourself if your kid could handle what what's in front of them, they would. So if they could handle their emotion and not hit their sibling, they would. If they could talk to you and apologize when they mess up instead of withdrawing and ignoring you, they would. So if they're not doing it, that's telling you they just aren't at that place yet. So think about what's getting in the way. Think about things like timing, setting, and skills. Do you notice a pattern in timing? Does your child tend to hit their sibling more often in the late afternoon? Do you notice a pattern in setting? Do they tend to get along with peers during playdates at home, but not during school? Think about skills. Do they have the skills necessary for speaking calmly when they're upset? Do they even have an emotional vocabulary? You know, these are, these are all things that take all of us different lengths of time to learn. And these are just some areas where your mind can go. The idea is to try and identify what's going on that's leading your child to struggle in this area. Now, once you've made that identification, you can begin to think of solutions. And then in the calm moments, that's what we're working on here, being proactive in the calm moments, you can teach those solutions to your child. So if you figure out that your child yells at their teacher when they feel rushed, like that's that's the catalyst, that's the thing that's making your, your child yell, well, now you can work with your child on better phrases to use when they're feeling rushed. You can work with the teacher or the school psychologist or the counselor on getting supports for your child to use in the classroom. Now, again, this is just an example, but do you see what we're doing here? We're looking at the situation in a calm moment, not when we're emotionally dysregulated or our kids are emotionally dysregulated. And we're thinking about the skills that can be taught to the child and the things that adults can do to help the child. So that's what we're doing there. Now, this goes right into the next tip, which is to change your child's environment. So in the the previous tip, we're talking about building skills, let's also talk about the environment because sometimes the environment is just not conducive to your child being able to handle their emotions or handle whatever is being asked of them. This goes for everyone. For me, I really struggle when I'm trying to do something while there's a lot of noise. I can't have a conversation, cook a meal, work anything. You know, like if, if 
our radio is playing and the kids have friends over, like that is not a time for me to read a recipe. I just can't do it. It's not a time to get into a deep conversation. I just can't do it. So if I want to, to read a recipe, if I want to get into a deep conversation, I need to move away from the noise or I need to turn off the noise or ask, ask the kids to go play in the backyard. You know, like I, I need to change my environment if I want to be successful. Now I can't always change my environment though, right? Like let's say that I'm at a, a, a loud party. But being aware of this challenge is going to help me to make better choices when I just have to be in that noisy place, like a, like a loud party. So at a loud party, I'm not going to try and talk about deep things. I'm not going to share, you know, I feel really hurt about something that happened and, and go into why, because I'm not going to be able to process my thoughts well in that noisy environment. But I, I can listen to other people in that environment. So I can have a nice conversation with someone who needs to be heard. Or I can talk about surface level stuff and be just fine. You know, like I can have good conversations there. That wouldn't be a place for me to try and write an essay, right? But I can sit back and watch kids playing. So you see what I mean? I first work to control my environment when I can, when I have to get something done. And when I can't control the environment, I control what I choose to do in that environment. So how can you and your child do this? So let's say that when you stop to think about your child's challenges earlier in this podcast, you realize that your child isn't emotionally mature enough to handle their body when they feel frustrated in the late afternoon. That's the situation, okay? That's when they tend to hit their sibling when they get frustrated. So with this knowledge, you can think about rearranging your schedule so that you or another adult can be in the same room when the siblings are playing together. So you're changing the environment by putting an adult there, right? Then when they get upset and seem like they're going to hit their sibling, you can be near and you can talk them through their emotions, or maybe you can even play with them. If you can't rearrange your schedule, maybe you can rearrange your kid's schedule so that one is doing homework while the other one is playing, or one is doing a chore while the other one is playing, and and they're going back and forth so that they're not left alone together. They're both busy doing different things, right? You see how that changes the environment. Now, You can also teach your child to recognize how their environment affects them because this would be very empowering to them, right? They can eventually begin to start making these choices on their own. So you can tell them, I've noticed that you seem to get frustrated with your brother in the afternoons. And then you can like, so you're not shaming them. You can be like, that's okay. Like I really get frustrated at bedtime or whatever, you know? And then you can say, help them problem solve. Like, do you think it would be a good idea to pick a different activity when, where you won't be with your brother in the afternoon or something like that? Like, do you think maybe you need alone time? Do you think maybe you need creative time or outside time? Like, what do you think would be more helpful to you? So you're brainstorming. Now your child's empowered. Your child recognizes that they struggle in this setting at this time, and they can either choose to change their environment, like maybe go play in a, alone in their room, for example, or they can change what they do in their environment, like Maybe instead of trying to play a cooperative game with their sibling, they do a craft next to their sibling, you know, like they can, but they can make those choices themselves when they realize that this is a challenging time and there's nothing wrong with it being a challenging time. And going back to what we were talking about earlier, you can teach your child to use calming skills and appropriate language to advocate for themselves in this time, right? Now, they're not going to be able to use these all the time with their afternoon frustrations, right? Especially if it's something that constantly is a challenge for them. But when they understand their environment and they combine that with the skills that you're also teaching them, that can help them to have more presence of mind more often. And that's what we're working towards here. 
We're working towards being in in control of emotions more often, not all the time, because that's impossible even for adults. But the more often we can feel success with this, the better we're going to get at this. The bottom line in all of this is that emotions are very, very real, and they have a huge impact on our kids' ability to handle themselves. We don't need to preach to them in order to teach lessons. When we understand their emotions better, then we have the ability to trust our kids more. They do know how to, how to, they do have solutions, right? We have the ability to teach strategies because now we understand what's really going on. And we have the ability to look at their environments with new eyes and to change that for them. So I hope this has been helpful to you. I really, really appreciate you being here and I would love to hear what you think. So please reach out to me on social media, pause and connect. That's me there. Or by email, connect at rebeccabrownwright.com. Anytime, anytime, send me a message to let me know your thoughts on podcast episodes. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for pausing and connecting with me today. Your support seriously means the world to me. If you found this episode helpful, I want you to know I have countless other resources for you to find more connection in your motherhood and life. Head to my website, rebeccabrownwright.com to check out my blog, check out my back and forth journal for parents and kids, and take a look at Pause and Connect Academy, where you can find courses to help you stop yelling, find your strengths, and finally get your kids to listen to you. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a positive review, sharing it on social media, or sharing with your friends. I love you and I want you to thrive in your motherhood and life. Thank you for being here. Now go forth and connect.